Let's open in prayer. Our Father in heaven, God, we thank you that we can gather together as your people again amidst the busyness of the holidays and the sicknesses and the challenges that we're all facing in our lives. We thank you that your word is true, that it is an anchor to our souls, and that it helps us to navigate the, the trials and challenges that we face in all of life and also in our vocation. And we pray that you'd help us this morning as we think about that and how the gospel um, shapes our perspective. We pray that you would renew our minds and, and equip us to, to serve you faithfully in various spheres in which you've called us to serve you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, week nine on our class on work and vocation. Welcome. We're in the middle of this section now where we, we started with what the Bible teaches in creation and the God's design for work. We talked about the fall and how it messed everything up, how sin has made things fruitless and pointless, and how it's made us, ourselves, our hearts selfish and idolatrous, and, and how work now as a mixture of both the good of God's design and the image of God that's still reflected in us, and then still the frustration of the curse and the thorns and thistles that come up in all of our different lives in different ways. The last couple weeks and including this week and then also next week we're thinking more specifically now about how the gospel equips us to deal with the reality of work in a fallen world and how it it gives us a, a framework for understanding the world and our work in it and what, what we're here for and what we're doing where history is going last week we talked about how the gospel equips us to have faith in God and to see our vocation as a place where that faith is exercised, where we're trusting Him actively. And how it also, uh, we're reminded that we're to love others in the midst of the nitty-gritty of our vocation, the particular people that are around us in our vocation. Today I want to, I've titled it this lesson, Bearing the Cross in Vocation. Actually, this is a little bit of a divergence from Tim Keller's book, because I found another book that had a, a couple chapters that I really liked. It's called God at Work by Gene Edward Veith, I think you say his last name. He's a, he's a professor at Patrick Henry College, and uh, he's written a lot about work. And he has a, I'm, so I'm relying pretty heavily on one of his chapters here. Uh, it, it ties in with Tim Keller, but it's, he's one of the main resources. And he relies heavily on Luther and other Luther scholars. So... This is the question I asked last week. How does the gospel transform the work that a Christian widget maker does as compared to a non-Christian widget maker? And, you know, fill in the blank there with whatever your vocation, your whatever calling you're pursuing in life. You know, what is it? There's some ways that we'll do the work the same. Like, in one sense, a Christian carpenter is not necessarily going to make a different table than a non-Christian carpenter. But... In what sense does the gospel transform the work that that Christian carpenter did in making that table? So we talked about that last week. Um, the answers I gave that we all we kind of arrived at these together, and then I explained these. You know, a Christian carpenter or widget maker is going to do his work or her work in out of faith in God, out of a desire to please God, realizing that the work they do, even though it's for others, is actually ultimately for God. He's the audience that we're ultimately working for. And we're going to do it out of a heart of love for God and others. So it's not just about selfish gain, about climbing the ladder. It's out of love for others. 
So this week we're going to talk about how the gospel gives us a new perspective on trials and also how the, in the gospel we learn that we have power and wisdom from the Holy Spirit that equips us to face those trials and the, the, the various other struggles that we have in our vocation. Next week we're going to talk about this fifth item, inner, inner rest and peace with God and how that changes our inner disposition towards our work. This again, as with last week, this is going to be a little bit shorter lesson. We'll go about forty minutes, and then we're going to actually, we're going to have Donovan Geyer come up and share a little bit about his work and how he's seen them play out in his life as in law enforcement. So, big pictures for today. First main idea: bearing the cross in vocation. The gospel equips the Christian with a redemptive perspective that gives meaning and hope to the various trials and temptations that we face in our vocations. And secondly, power and wisdom from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit empowers the Christian and guides the Christian to navigate the challenges that come in vocation. So I want to start by looking in, into Luke. If so you can either turn there or I'm going to put up on the screen here, Luke chapter 9. We're going to look at this relatively well-known saying of Jesus. This is in Luke's account. I think Matthew, it's in Matthew 16. You kind of pick up different emphases from the two different accounts. But would someone read for us Luke chapter 9, verses 21 to 27? And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For what for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed. When he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Thanks, Raymond. So if you remember the the context here, what I what I Raymond didn't read, what because I didn't ask him to, was immediately before this, Jesus had asked the disciples, Who do you say that I am? And Peter in his moment of uh, glory ad- accurately recognizes who Jesus is. You are the Christ, the Son of the Living God. You know, that was the high point for Peter. It only went downhill from there. Because when we pick up here, Jesus then immediately after them them recognizing who he is as the, the, the Christ, the Son of the living God, he then for the first time says most clearly, and this is kind of a turning point in the gospel, he says that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Now, maybe it's not in this account, but uh, what happened in Matthew that Luke... Skips over here. You guys remember how did Peter respond to this? Never. May it never be like you know, you know. You may you can't go to the cross. You're to you're here to bring in the kingdom. You're here to conquer our enemies. The cross is. A, I mean, the cross was not a, the way to glory. The cross was way to suffering and death. And Peter would have none of it. And Jesus responds, "Get behind me, Satan! And you're you're setting your mind on man's things, not on." things of God. That temptation there, you know, it's interesting, remember one of the things that Jesus, one of the ways Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, remember? 
There was the three temptations. The one, though, where Satan came to him and said, if you'll bow down to me, then I'll give you all these kingdoms, uh, all the kingdoms of the world. Which was essentially that same temptation to think there's a path to glory and the kingdom of God coming in its fullness that doesn't involve suffering and death and the cross. That's what Satan was tempting Jesus with. And that's, I think, why when Peter brings us up, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Because that same, that's the voice of the serpent is there saying, you don't really need to go to the cross. So that's the context then for Jesus to say in verse 23, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, what does that actually... What does that mean? Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. What can you say about that? We know it doesn't mean we can rule out the literal interpretation of like picking up an instrument of death and carrying it on your back like Jesus had to. And also, we can also rule out martyrdom in the sense that if you're going to take this up daily, you can't actually be dying, in a sense. Uh, you've got to be alive the next day to, to take it up again. At least... In generally, not that it couldn't mean that, but what, is it, what does it actually mean to, take, to deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me? I related to verse 24, losing your life for it to save. Yeah. <clears throat> You're going to tell the diaries, but there's a Yeah. Yeah, would you add something, Raymond? Yes, uh, I find Lewis very helpful on this one when he says that uh, becoming a Christian is very much like going to a concentration camp and getting beaten to death because he isn't here to make, give you an incredible self. Right. He's here to kill that self. With all his little wishes and whims and worries and fears, he's that, that needs to die. Right. You know? Yeah, and he says here to follow me. I mean, you know, for Jesus, you know, Jesus had a temptation that he faced to go from to glory without passing through suffering, without having to go down, to basically just go straight to glory. It's the same temptation that we face today, to think that maybe there's a way that we can experience, you know, we can get to, we can bypass the suffering, we can get, we can get away from having to endure hardship and trial. You know, it's, the voice of the serpent that says you can have your best life now. You don't need to. You don't need to worry about suffering. And you know, for Jesus, you know, glory is where he was going. But in order to get there, he had to go down through to the cross, suffering, the shame and pain of the cross. And what he's really saying here is for us, his followers, those who follow him, they're going to have the same the same path. It's going to be a path of of suffering. Um, of denying yourself, of taking up your cross daily and following Him. And, you know, it's something that has to be, it's personal. You know, it's take up His cross or her cross. So, you know, it's, it's something each one of us must bear. There's not really a way out of it if we're going to follow in the footsteps of our Savior. That, and this, this takes on, you know, this isn't just applied to vocation. Obviously, it applies to all of life. If you're married, if you're a parent, if you're in any relationship with people in the church, there's going to be areas where you're going to have to deny yourself and be selfless and live for others. But 
It does particularly apply as well in the area of our work, whatever vocation that is that God has called you to. And one of the reasons we can actually say that with with some certainty is if we look over at 1 Peter, we're going to see kind of a similar argument that Peter makes, but here he's going to apply it directly to servants who are subject to masters. In 1 Peter 2, we're picking up in the middle of his exhortations. Actually, I didn't include it because I didn't have room, but this is he, he first exhorted people to be subject to the government, and then he tells servants to be subject to their masters. And then in chapter 3, he's going to tell wives to be subject to their husbands, even unbelieving husbands that don't lead them well. So there's, in all of these, those contexts, either submitting to the government, su- servants submitting to their masters, or wives submitting to unbelieving husbands, there's an element of injustice that's baked into the situation where you have someone who's in authority who's not a perfect authority who's going to lead, there's going to be injustice built into the situation in a sense. And Peter's now speaking to servants and telling them how to, how to live in that situation. So can someone read for us just these verses up here? First Peter 2, 18 through 24. Servants be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, and when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if you, when you do good and suffer for it, it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Thanks, Janelle. So we've talked about this in a couple different passages, but um, servants and masters is, it's not perfectly analogous, but it's fairly close. It's probably the closest thing we have to employee-employer relationship today. The social dynamic's different, but still you have someone in authority who is responsible for directing the working activities of someone underneath them as their servant. And so here Paul's exhorting these servants to be subject to their masters with respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. And now he tells them why. Why are you to submit to a master who's not treating you well, who's asking you to do things that are unfair, who's not you know, compensating you um, adequately? And he says twice here that this is a gracious thing. It's a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. So when you're enduring some a difficult work situation, circumstances, a master is not treating you well, he doesn't understand your, your circumstances, it's actually a gracious thing. And it's, he says when one endures sorrows. So the idea here is that you're just, you're carrying on in enduring this unfair situation, not necessarily changing it, although you may have, if you have means to, to, to change it, you may be able to, but maybe not. And a servant may not have been able to affect their situation. They may have just been called to suffer in silence, so to speak, uh, just carry on in enduring this 
this sorrow. And it's actually, he says, a gracious thing in the sight of God. He says that twice. You know, what credit is it in verse 20, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure. But if you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Verse 21 is, you know, he says that twice. Suffering unjustly under unfair circumstances, enduring that is a gracious thing in the sight of God. And then verse 21, he says, for to this you have been called. Now, if you just stop that for a second, like, okay, that's what I signed up for as a Christian, like suffering unjustly under unfair circumstances. Like, that doesn't seem right. That's usually not how we, you know, evangelize. This is what God's calling you to, to endure sorrows while suffering unjustly. And why does he say that? Why does he say you've been called to endure sorrows while suffering unjustly? Maybe we have been. <laughs> maybe we have what? Well, I mean, maybe that is part of what the deal is. I mean, Christ also suffered for us, so, I mean, right. it's not out of the realm of reality. Right. And that you're, I don't know if you did that purposely, but that's what he says. He tells you, he gives you the reason in the rest of the verse. The, this you have been called, this suffering unjustly, enduring sorrows, in the context of a, you know, employer-employee relationship, and, and others, but in this case, he's specifically talking to those in this kind of economic arrangement. You've been called to do this because, here's the reason, because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. So this this path, Jesus going to the cross, suffering on his way to glory, Paul's saying that's the same path that we're all called to follow. He did it as an example for us so that you might follow in his steps. I mean, the implication is that all those who are in, who are following Christ, who are his disciples, who are going to follow in his steps, are going to experience this to some degree or another. There's no, there's no way around it in the Christian life. That We're called to endure sorrow, to suffer injustice, and to do so graciously. And, and ultimately, though, entrusting ourselves to God. That's what he says now. Jesus was our example. He didn't sin. But when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But, and here's, here's how he endured, he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So that's Paul, uh, Peter's exhortation. I think I was saying Paul earlier. That's Peter's exhortation to servants who are in unfair situations. What about us? You know, you all have different, some of you are at home with children, some of you are in the workplace, some of you are students. How would that exhortation apply to us? What are, what are the crosses that we're called to bear in our vocation? Oh boy. Raymond? Uh, I'm just saying that, uh, okay, so I went to work for Shasta Lake Fire Protection uh, in July, and I didn't really have much training, and uh, we had to practice progressing hose around an area of woodland, and uh, and it, it kicked my butt. I couldn't do it. I wasn't in the kind of shape that I needed to be in. Um, I'm coming up on completion of an 18-week um Academy and I have suffered <laughs> during that. I have 4:30 in the morning, uh, three hours of PT, uh, working nonstop, wearing full gear through the 110 degree weather in the middle of Reading summers. I, 
it's been brutal. It's been the most difficult, challenging thing I've ever done. But we just went and did the wildland portion uh, of the uh, of the academy, and I was able to do the stuff that I wasn't able to do in July. And it was the result of the suffering that I've been through that has made me strong, that has made me able, hmm. that has sharpened my ability and given me the strength and endurance to do the stuff that's required of me. You know, and I, so I, I see that um, that I'm 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 made better. Yeah. I'm made more able. I'm and I'm able to. Um, so, anyways, that's that's one thing that came to my mind. Yeah. So challenges just in our own personal growth. Um, being in, put into situations that we're maybe not prepared for, and having to, to learn and be be and to grow. I mean, that's certainly a, a a cross. And when I say cross, I mean I I think sometimes we might think of this as you know getting losing our job because we shared our faith, which that might be a cross for some of us at some point to bear. I don't know. Maybe that's been your, someone's circumstance here. I haven't had that happen to me. I've there's plenty of times I probably haven't shared my faith when I should, but there's other times where I have, and it hasn't necessarily. I mean, maybe someone's thought differently of me, but they haven't. I haven't received like I haven't lost work or experienced a lot of you know mistreatment in that sense. So there may be a, there's an extreme here where it's you know those maybe who are called to actually be or maybe persecuted, but I would say there's also milder f- forms as well. And really anything here, I think especially if you're thinking back to how. You know, Peter was exhorting slaves to endure suffering. Really, anything that is a, all the struggles that we face as a result of our own sin, the the sin around us, the sin of others, the curse upon the world—all of those are contexts that we can see this principle apply. So, if you think more broadly, I mean, you shouldn't have to think hard. I mean, just think to like what you're going to face tomorrow if you're going to work tomorrow. What are the crosses that you're going to have to bear, Janice? Yeah. I'll experience that, but as a stay-at-home parent, it's just like, hey, you know, just another day at home or um, a lot of death to self. Right. So for me, I don't have like any physical suffering, but just that like right. daily grind. Yeah, not growing it's weary. It's like, where, where is this even going? There's not always like a to-do list where you get to check off. Like, okay, I, I, there's not always that sense of... Completion, and so for somebody who's type A, you know, it's like, why did I even do all day? You know, but right to see that like perspective of people, um, I disciple a couple of young people, you know, and I think we can lose sight of that. So, Janelle, um, in raising kids, especially in the public school system, um, watching my kids have to be left out of things or. Um, be like, why do we always have to go to church on Sunday? Or just different things like that, that um, trying to help them see the bigger picture in things um, and explain to them that the things that they think they want aren't really the things that they want. And, and yet you want you want them to be included. You want them to be able to participate in things. But because we choose to do the, the things that aren't the cool things or the right. popular things or whatever, you have to watch them walk through that. And so just like for me, learning to let them suffer um, has been hard. 
Yeah. I want to protect them. And You're right. You want them to be happy, and, and yeah. And then you look back on it and be like, "Dang, I should have let them suffer more." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because it's it's just hard to watch that, but it's it's only going to grow them, and and hopefully, in what the Lord has for them. Right. I think a few things come to mind. Um, up, up until I transferred up here, I was the only Christian in the office, and so we had quite a few agnostics and atheists, and so it was always you're in the cult kind of thing. Um, so just that, I, I think that's just to be expected on some level. But right. I think you know, just going back to the curse in Genesis, like all my efforts are not always fruitful, and it's irritating as heck. Yeah. Like when you spend weeks on a particular investigative method and it doesn't bear any fruit and I'm like dang it right. <laughs> just wasted so much time and so much valuable opportunities but so it just doesn't yield the fruit that it should in my right. mind you know so that's frustrating yeah. I, I guess it would be suffering <laughs> yeah and I think I think there's a spectrum where some is going to be like outright opposition and where our values as Christians may be put us in a place where we're different and we're looked we're treated differently but I think some of it's just going to be we're living in a broken world and we're going to deal with the effects of that so you know I put up here a, a list of I mean there's more that you could put here but whether it's like just mistreatment and persecution and whether it's temptation is sometimes sometimes your workplace is a there's unique temptations you know if you're if you have a family and your job has you traveling out of town for weeks at a time and um, your families are separated. Your your wife's got to struggle alone, and you've got to, you're alone. I mean, there's those are real struggles. Conflict between people, failure, like trying your best, getting to do something, and then it just fails. Like, what do you, how do you make a, what do you make of that? Um, or just an inner discontentment, like you know, maybe you're doing well in your job, but like you don't feel like you, this is what you want to be doing. Miscommunication, burnout, weariness, unemployment. Even success can, in a sense, be a cross in that, you know, especially if, if you're seeking as a Christian to be faithful and follow the Lord, and He blesses you with success, and now there's, you have new, it may not seem that way, but there's new challenges you have to deal with. Well, what do we do, how do we walk faithfully when we have, how do we not uh, fall into the temptations to um, making a name for myself and, and compromising with the world when we, God blesses you with things that you might not have had previously? Separation from your family. I was just talking with Andy Page yesterday, and he hasn't been able to be at church for 18 months, more or less. I mean, he's in a period of life where, in his vocation, he that's been he hasn't been able to do that. And I think so. All of these things. I mean, and there's many more. But when we look, you know, when you're in your workplace or in your vocation, and you, you know, you come across something that's that's a challenge that you're facing. Uh, I think this is the lens that we're to look at it as as a Christian. That uh, you know, just as our our Lord walked a path of, of suffering and and difficulty on His path to glory, so for us, um, He's called us to do that as well. And how are we then to respond in those situations? You know, non Christians face a lot of these same things too. They face conflict. They face burnout and overwork and. Everything that I just had up there, I mean, in a sense, maybe apart from mistreatment and persecution and some of those things that are specific to Christians, but, you know, your non-believing co-workers are going to face them too. And, you know, many of you have probably seen, you know, I've seen in the construction industry, I mean, it's rare to find someone who's been married and has a stable family for their whole career. I mean, divorce is very common. Alcoholism is very common. You're just working for the weekend so you can go have a good time. I mean, there's... 
that's the mentality. So, you know, in a sense, just experiencing the challenges in itself is not what we're called to do. I mean, we're supposed to, we're called to experience it, but then to, to walk through it in faith. And that's what I, I'd suggest is that faith is what actually transforms us. So it's not just enduring hardships, but it's actually doing so, as Peter said, well, entrusting yourself to one who ju- the one who judges justly. And that's what transforms that, so that it can actually be something redemptive in our lives and not just um, pain. What other, can you think of other, I mean, there's, there's many here, so I, I think for the sake of time, we'll have to just hit a few quickly, but what verses or, or scriptures come to mind? There's many in the New Testament about how, how we're to face trials, how we're to approach them as, as believers. Yes. Marcus? This isn't actually in the New Testament, but an example I think of is, uh, like, I was thinking of the same thing. I was like, how is this any different than out of this children? But there is a difference, and, and I think you see it in like um, the example of Joseph, right? He's facing all these trials, and he patiently bears with them. But like, what what is it that would that makes the difference between him and just like some random Joe? And I and I think it's his faith and like a sense of hope. But there's a purpose to it, you know? right? Um, that I'm, I'm trusting in God, and He's going to bring me through. Like there, there's, there's, it's not pointless, you know. It's not right. Yeah, and it all comes back to this same paradigm. I mean, for us, we're united to Christ. So Christ went through the cross on His way to glory. That's what we're called to do too. I mean, that's the the paradigm for us as a as a Christian. Uh, Raymond and then Anna. Yeah. So I'm also reminded of uh, Job. Job is very helpful for me. Um, when he tells his his wife, he says. Uh, you speak as a foolish woman would speak. Shall we receive good from God, and shall we not receive also evil? You know, and in this, Job did not sin with his lips. He, he understood that either way, it's all from God, for one way or another. You know, and he, he accepted it as being from the hand of God, even though it was unjust suffering. You know. Yeah. Adam. I mean, as soon as you wrote that up there. I, been thinking about Philippians too, and when he starts out having this mind that's is yours in Christ right. Jesus, and you know, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but all things, you know. Um, and then he goes through the humility of Christ, and but then it's so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Right. And he says, "Have this attitude in yourselves." Right. So, in there is a, the gospel shows us how Jesus saved us, but then it also calls us to walk the same path of following him in his footsteps. And that's what you see in Hebrews 12. I won't read the whole thing for the sake of time, but you know, the author of Hebrews is exhorting his, peop- his, the, his audience to run with endurance in verse 1, the race that is set before them. And then he gives them the motivation. He says, looking to Jesus. And then he gives us the same paradigm, suffering to glory. He, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So there's the glory, and there's the suffering he had to endure on the way. And therefore, notice how he turns that into an exhortation then. It's not just think about him. It is think about him, but look at how it then motivates you. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. It, there's a so that there, so that when you think about what Jesus endured for us, you cannot grow weary or faint-hearted. And that applies, I mean, it applies to all of life, but it applies in your, in your work when you're facing 
unjust situations or, or trials or just weariness and burnout, consider what Jesus endured and how it, for him that was the path to glory. You know, it's the same thing uh, or very similar, you know, pretty f- well-known passage, especially if some of you guys memorized James in uh, recent years or last year when we did that. But consider it all joy when you face trials of various kinds. So various kinds, I think we can safely say that includes whatever those trials are in your vocation. Inner um, turmoil, external conflict, unfulfilled expectations, all of those things. Consider it joy, and not just because you like pain, but because you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And steadfastness, let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You know, that's, he doesn't tie it as directly to Christ's example here, but I think it's the same thing, because he's looking forward to the day when you'll be perfect and complete, which ultimately that's the day when we're resurrected in glory with Christ. And yet on the path there, there's going to be trials of various kinds that's going to produce that, that perfection and that completion in us. There's other, I mean, I had Romans 5 as well, where you see the same thing, that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces hope. Uh, no, endurance produces character, character produces hope. But the other, th- besides that principle, I also wanted to just highlight what uh, the other thing James says here, that if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Many of you, you know, if you've, when you experience some conflicts are maybe your own doing, and the obvious, the solution is, is black and white. It's obvious what the problem was and how to resolve it. But probably most of your crosses to bear are not necessarily clear. You know, if it's a conflict at work, it may not be obvious how to resolve it. Do you, you know, speak up to your supervisor and tell him or her that you're not comfortable with this, or do you just quietly endure it? Do you go find a different job? Do you confront an issue or, um, you know, and you fill in the blank with, if you can think of a specific example from your life, it may not be clear how God wants you to take up your cross in that situation. So the other thing I want to say about this situation, bearing the cross in your vocation, is that you know we've been equipped also with the Holy Spirit and who gives us wisdom. And we ask God, uh, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach. You know, if any of you have been in that situation, maybe you're currently in a situation, you may... You may feel like that's not necessarily true. I don't know if, if you've prayed for wisdom and then, you know, wanted to receive some sort of revelation or clear direction or, you know, marquee across the sky. It doesn't usually, I mean, maybe your experience has been different than mine. It doesn't usually come that way. <laughs> uh, usually it's a struggle. You're still, you're asking for wisdom, you're praying, you're thinking about it, you're, you're trying to maybe get counsel from other people and then ultimately you just have to do something, make a decision and act, and you trust that in the process the Holy Spirit is guiding you. And that's, God gives us wisdom, but he does it in such a way that we still have to trust him, that we still have to walk by faith. So, it's not as easy as we might like in that sense, but we are equipped with wisdom and we're equipped with the Holy Spirit as well, which you know, just, you know, we see that in Romans 8. When we're Paul was telling his readers they were and they were experiencing, or he's telling them previously that they should suffer with Christ, uh, so they could be glorified with Him. And then he points out to them that the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. Uh, I know there's many situations in our vocations where it's not clear what the right thing is to do, and we can 
know that the Holy Spirit is actually interceding for us and that He is helping us. And when we don't know what to pray for, He will He will guide us. It doesn't mean that it's going to be obvious to us. You know, in Acts 15, when the church all got together and they're trying to figure out what to do about this problem with the Gentiles, they all convened and they, you know, there was kind of a heated argument. They talked about it for a while and Peter got up and, you know, they all heard each other out. And eventually they, they made a decision. And then when they wrote their letter in Acts 15 to circulate to the other churches, they said, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no other burdens. And that's, that's Acts 15, 28. And what I think is interesting about that is that they, we see them actually employing the means that they had, like hearing arguments and and reasoning together and seeking counsel together. And then they attributed that decision that they made to the Holy Spirit. Uh, they said it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. So what I want to point out there is that the Holy Spirit does guide us, but he does it through oftentimes the means that are available to us, our own reasoning, our own the counsel that we can receive from others, and prayer. So bearing the cross is, off, is an opportunity. And I just encourage you, whatever those crosses are in your vocation, to see them, not, when you look at them through faith, to see them as an opportunity to grow in dependence upon God and to really identify with Christ in this path of suffering on the way to glory. So I'm going to jump to our conversation with Donovan now. Unless someone had a quick... Why don't you come up, Donovan? Does someone, anyone have a question about anything I've said? So far, comment, complaint. I can add something real quick. Yeah. To your trajectory from uh, like suffering to glory, just one of the words in the Bible. I think it's from Romans. Is that these present sufferings are not worthy to be glory the glory that will Right. Yeah, and I don't want to. If anything, if you just take away anything from this, just I hope you take away from this that those trials that you face in your vocation, the nitty-gritty things of working long hours, dealing with difficult co-workers, like that's part, that's part of that suffering that God uses to bring us to glory. So it's not purposeless. It's not, it has a purpose. God is, God is working through it to shape our character. So let's hear from Donovan. I don't know if you, if you all know Donovan. Donovan Geyer. Donovan, good to have you up here. What, um, you want to introduce yourself and then tell us what kind of work you do and have done over the years? Uh, so my name is Don Geyer. My wife Sarah's sitting back there. We've got four mostly beautiful children. This <laughs> is not just externally, but internally. Um, I am uh, by career path in law enforcement. I say career path because that's uh, and we'll talk about my calling here, I guess, too. Um, I work as a peace officer. That is my legal definition. I work for the California Highway Patrol. That's the avenue for which I think my calling, which is in public service, is that's where I get to serve. Uh, that is the career path of the, the employer that I have found that allows me to fulfill my calling. Um, I have been uh, in public service since I was uh, about 17 years old. I started as an EMT, I worked as a paramedic, and then I joined the Highway Patrol, and I've been there for the last 20 years now. Uh, my current role is primarily um, 
I spent most of my career with the Highway Patrol, just as a quick overview, within our aviation program. So I fly helicopters, and at the moment I'm a sergeant, a supervisor in our helicopter unit that's based here in Reading. Um, so I supervise about uh, 12 employees there. Um, our unit provides both basic law enforcement services as well as search and rescue services to the 13 counties of Northern California. Um, I've worked both patrol as an officer and as a supervisor, but spent the bulk of my career um, doing uh, aviation-type related services within law enforcement. Um, so that's my broad overview of my career path. Yeah. So I'll go through our qu question I gave you, but if you want to add anything, feel free. But So how do you see how your work reflects God's design from creation? So that's where I use the term, my legal definition for what I am. I am a peace officer. Are you a cop? No, I'm not a cop. Are you a police officer? No, I'm not even a police officer. I like and enjoy the, the legal title that we have. I'm a peace officer. And I think from God's good design for creation, God designed a world that was peaceful, that had order, that uh, worked well with everything and all the relationships, everything worked well together. My role as a peace officer within the realm of civil government, those realms that are distinguished one from another, but my role within the realm of civil government is to help uh, maintain peace, maintain order. Um, I believe that um, that reflects hopefully trying to get back to somewhat of what God originally had in his design for good peace and order within the world around us. So, uh, in a nutshell, um, that's how my work reflects God's good design, I guess, within creation. Yeah. Yeah, maybe this is kind of tied with the next question, but I, um, yes. it's, I wonder, would you have a peace officer without the fall? Um, right. Or did you need a peace officer? So, but Yeah, I guess so. We're going to talk about how the fall impacts work when I say, you know, I, th I think one of the things when I think about different vocations, probably, I I've done this too, thinking about other vocations, oh, I wonder how the fall impacts theirs. I wonder how the fall impacts theirs. And we've probably thought some of those those things, and when I tell people that I'm in law enforcement, they go, oh, I, I can assume that the law, or the fall impacts your job, right? Mm -hmm. Well, yes, there's some obvious things that jump to our foreman, but there's a lot of other things, too, mm -hmm. and, and one of those is that, that loss of, I think, just uh, the idea of peaceful order within the world around us, but the fall impacts definitely, um, you know, human beings' actions, um, obviously, um, the fall, uh, when we have sin, People do things they ought not to do. They think in ways they ought not to think, both purposely and unpurposefully. I think that's forgotten, too, that, you know, people want to say, oh, yeah, you're right, we're talking about criminals here. You're just dealing with bad guys. Well, that's not just it. Um, a lot of the things that we're involved with are just um, what the world around us might term unfortunate circumstances. People that make poor decisions, not because they meant to make a bad decision, but because some sort of poor decision led them somewhere or into something that now they're in some sort of circumstance they can't get themselves out of. In my job, one of the things I really appreciate is the aspect that we do, which is search and rescue. Um, the fall, because of poor decision-making judgments, leads a lot of people into circumstances where they're hurt, lost, can't find their way out of some sort of circumstance, and they need to be physically rescued from that circumstance, and that leads us into contact with them. So we, we definitely find that's a little more fulfilling than the other side of law enforcement, which is those people that do make decisions to uh, violate the laws that we have in our land and then have to be brought to justice 
um, that is a component of law enforcement as well. So the, the fall, um, it impacts a lot of things, and obviously it has destroyed God's peaceful order within the world around us. But I think one of his responses to that was to create that um, that uh, realm of civil government that helps us within our social structures to hopefully, when social government is working correctly, to begin to restore peace and order. He's also ordained things like um, the ministry, which helps to bring peace and order within the church and within our social lives, uh, and ministers that have a function. There's some other realms like that. And within their own individual realm, they help to bring back and restore that peace and order that God originally designed. Um, yeah, I think I, I wonder if even... I mean, in the new creation... Well, maybe I don't want to steer where you're going, but like... Um, Obviously, I'm just wondering if there might, you know, even in Genesis, we see like the seeds of civilization. Like there was to be human society, right. and presumably there I, there would have to be some ordering of that human society without without sin. Like there would be those in authority. There'd be structure. Um, you know, if you had people really filling the earth and subduing it. Um, so, and now it's hard to even. I guess in your profession, I imagine it's hard to almost. The, the, the curse and sin is so interwoven through all of us, so it's hard to even imagine what it would be like without it. But I think where we see history going is still, you know, Christ reigning and ruling, and there's governance still, and we reign with Him, whatever that means, um, <laughs> in a world where there's no sin. But it's interesting to think about that. that it's not nece- I don't think it's necessarily like, you know, you only have order because of the no. fall and sin. Yeah? No, no, for, for sure. I think that. God created and was in the uh, act of creating specific institutions, creating marriage as an institution which you know, formed family and family units that were going to be and still are um, crucial to the societal right. structure that he was that was making that is good. Um, there are so remember, sin in the fall taints everything. But it did not erase the goodness that is inherently in those things that God made. Um, that's why he says the things are good, and he wants to restore that. Restore is is, is amazing. We're talking about the restoration of the, the perfection of his goodness. There is still much goodness, and there is still much even within God's common grace that allows a lot of things uh, to be amazing in the world. Um, civil government is one of those. And I think that is a realm that is of God's common grace that he gives to us to maintain some peace and order. A, a world without civil government rightfully exercised would lead to anarchy. Um, would be far worse than it is. Right. And you can see that in experiments and in governments around the world where they function more or less along with God's design for civil government closer to that anarchical type um, end of the spectrum. Right. We are. I'm not saying that we're necessarily on a good side of the spectrum either, per se, but um, not as bad as others. So, um, yeah, it is amazing. I was, Don and I were talking about that a couple weeks ago, but or it is amazing that you can put, I mean, law enforcement or peace officers, it's not like they're all believers who are trying to follow God's will for society. I mean, there are many who are, but, and yet through believers and non-believers alike, you know, generally speaking, you know, people are aware that if they go commit a crime, there's going to be consequences. Uh, that doesn't stop everyone, obviously, but... No, and um, 
I think uh, the other thing with the fall, and I was enjoying reading this in the book, Bruno was talking about, he was about thorns and thistles, thorns and thistles, right? And they're on the tip of our tongue. And I hadn't really thought about this much within my own vocation, but the idea of how uh, the thorns and thistles that kind of come along with it. And we talked about this, and I was just saying how it, how it taints everything, including society generally as a whole, not just people as individuals, uh, you know, the book talks about there. So we have this idea of civil government that God instituted, so there must be something good in and of it, because God instituted you know, civil government, and it allows for it, it sets up leaders. But we see very, and this is hard for us in our profession, we see very much that society can be very much a thistle towards us. The societal shift towards the view of law enforcement in general is, is not very positive, and that's very hard for those of us that are in the career field, especially those of us who don't have a hope outside of just themselves and the world around us. We'll get to this in a second, too, but my hope is exactly in what you're talking about in the restored world. When Christ returns and restores everything, shouldn't be a need for my job, my vocation. That, that tree, the, the leaf that I'm making, and the tree that's not completed will be that. will be that, that perfect world someday where people aren't hurt. People don't, they don't sin, they don't create acts of violence. They aren't doing those things. They aren't getting sick. They aren't getting any of that stuff. I think, I don't know, whether we'll still be able to hike mountains and nobody falls, nobody gets hurt, nobody gets lost. None of, none of those kinds of things in that, that perfect world, you know, especially... I was focusing on Isaiah 11 where it talks about you know, the wolf blowing with the lamb and the leopard and the lion and the goat and nobody shall hurt or destroy in all this holy mountain. I'm like, wow, that's, that's amazing. That is mm-hmm. that perfect restored peace that in my little realm I'm working sort of towards, but I know won't be fulfilled ultimately until Christ's return. So although we have the thorns and the thistles of continuing to do our work even more in a shifting uh, societal view of us here in our country where people uh, by and large, at least the feeling is that they look down upon us. Uh, I spent a lot of time not necessarily by choice at the Capitol in the last few years. I've had things thrown at me. I've had people calling all sorts of garbage things just because of a uniform that I'm wearing. And Right. Uh, because of a vocation path that I'm on, both sides of the political spectrum doing those sorts of things because of what they think that I represent. But those are those are definitely some thorns and thistles that are out there. You know, the rest of my career field is definitely not without those two. There's plenty of traps that those can within law enforcement find themselves in. When I talk about law enforcement and civil government as it is rightly practiced. Where it's unrightly practiced, there is um, a, a good reason for society to push back against us, and we see that in some areas too. Um, we, as an institution, are tainted by sin, just like every other institution that's out there. So, uh, by no means are we uh, loftier than anybody else. But it's real easy for those that are not guided by Christ and His principles to view themselves as a little bit, you know, to set themselves up on a little bit of a pedestal as far as look at the authority that I have. It's very easily lost upon people, the way our government works, that my authority comes from you. I have no authority that's not given to me first by God, but by you. My authority comes from the legislature, who you voted to put into place to create laws. If you change the laws and things out there, I don't have any authority to do anything. My authority comes from you. So as a peace officer and a public servant, you know, I'm here to serve the people that have given me an authority. It's a really interesting paradigm to have. A, you 
you've given me the authority, but I'm exercising my authority over you as a society to enforce rules that you've made. And it sometimes it can be hard to work out a little bit. Yeah. And so it's it's interesting. I guess sometimes how does the gospel yeah. reshape the you know, perspectives on work in my field? The gospel, well, first of all, uh, talking about hope, my hope is in God. It's not in my occupation. It's not in the agency that I work for to create or restore order. Um, and a lot of people that I work with, non-Christian people, they see the failures of human government, rightfully so. And they think, wow, this is horrible. It's not going anywhere. And think, You're right, it's not. That's not where my hope is. <laughs> my hope is in Christ returning and ultimately bringing perfect peace and order. And so that's one of the ways. But one of the other things, too, is just the commands and directions that are given by God as far as how we interact uh, with people, particularly, too, I think of my role as a supervisor. So you're talking about these passages that talk about slaves and masters. Um, and I agree that it's as close as we can get to employers and employees. I have 12 people that work for me, and I have some pretty good direction in here about what my role as a Christ-centered master or employer, supervisor, towards them, to to honor them and respect them in return, to give them the things that they need, set them up not to antagonize or aggravate those that are underneath me or subject to my authority over them. I have another supervisor in our office. There's two of us in our office, and it's it never is lost on me when the employees will come to me and say, "You're very different in this particular way." And the other supervisor. What is also very keenly hurtful to me at times is my failures. Because my failures, I think of them in the context of the gospel and lost opportunities for Christ, more so than my counterpart might see his failures and be able to dismiss them easier. So both of those things are very, very keenly in my face and are aware of because of uh, the gospel, how it's affected my perspective there probably go on and on for quite some time, um, some of these things, but just trying to focus on a few small pieces there has been important. And then, you know, just, I guess what we're talking about a little bit today here, too, bearing crosses, there's, I think that's one of those things that's interesting in that there are a lot of, there are a lot of both physical and emotional things, pathological uh, things that we're confronted with. Um, in our career field, you see the absolute worst of humanity in our career field. You see some of the best of humanity in our career field. And you see just the, the places where people are at their very end of need. And it's um, it takes a toll on mm-hmm. emotionally trying to give and help people constantly. Right? And you're going to find yourself more and more in this scenario going into fire service. You're going to be confronted with people that just are in desperate need of something and it does take a huge toll on you. Burnout in our profession is very high. Um, of course, uh, the, the average lifespan after retirement in our profession is unbelievably short. People that die um, because of stress and other things related to their career fields. It's like less than five years after retirement on average in law enforcement. But all of those things would be really easy if I had no, if I had no hope anywhere else to just eat me up. But having my hope in Christ and a place where I know that He will avenge anything and everything that needs to be avenged. He will right every wrong. He will 
restore all those things mm -hmm. that he intends to restore and eventually bring order, it relieves a huge burden for me, no matter what it is that I'm confronted with. I'm a small piece in a big view, and this big wheel looks at work, and sometimes it's hard for us to see the big picture. We can get bogged down on, a, on a, this one little case I'm working on or something else, but if he wasn't working on that and everybody decided to put down that case or all the artists decided that, you know what, I don't really want to be an artist anymore because it's too hard. If you took your vocation and ripped it out of the world, what would the world be like without that one particular vocation? Because mm -hmm. everybody said, well, my piece is insignificant. But it's not when we think about the big world picture of it. And if we in law enforcement stop doing what we're doing, well, the world would have problems. All the artists <laughs> stop being artists, we lose a lot of beauty. Yeah. All the engineers stop being engineers, we have unsafe buildings and roads and bridges and other things. It would be horrible. Um, so I say that by way of encouragement too to everybody that um, don't lose sight of the big picture for your vocation when it's really easy to get narrowed down and focused in on, on a small part of your vocation and what you're doing. But uh, Christ being bigger than me bears all my crosses for me. It really makes it a whole lot easier to yeah. do the job that I do. Yeah, amen. That's great, um, Donovan. Just to hear how, yeah, the the suffering, the what I imagine. I mean, even just from talking to other law enforcement officers, like it can seem probably meaningless at times. Like you know, we arrest them, we lock them up, and then they're back out again, and you know, we repeat the cycle. And like, what it can, I'm sure it can be infuriating. And if you don't have, if you don't have a bigger picture of of how God is making, going to make things right, I. And that same act, that same cross, can turn someone to bitterness and despair, and maybe, you know, wherever that goes, or it can turn you to Christ and give you hope. Anybody have any questions? Adam, you want to add anything? Law enforcement. <laughs> Thanks, Lord. <laughs> that was really good. <laughs> All right. Oh, you want to add something, Raymond, real quick? Oriented understanding of the law enforcement professional is incredibly helpful for me. I understood that the guys with the badges and the handcuffs weren't the bad guys coming to take away all my cool stuff and put me in cages. They were actually the duly appointed protectors of the public good, and that I, was, I had been on the wrong side of that good. It, it was a perspective shift that uh, I wish more people in general could have. That this is for the, and see, it's scriptural too. He, he doesn't bear a sword for no reason. Right. You know? He's a servant of God. Servant of God. Yeah. Amen. All right. Let me close in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we just are so thankful for your mercies toward us. We're thankful for law enforcement and uh, the good work that uh, those in this profession do in, in restoring order and peace and in, even in a small way at times, just seeing justice done and. God, we long for the day when justice will be done perfectly, when you will reign and all the wrongs will be made right. All the suffering will be seen in its context of how you are using those, those crosses to bring us to glory. And we pray that you give us faith as we encounter those even this week, whatever those crosses are that are in our vocation. We pray that you'd help us to look upon them with faith and to see them as part of your good purposes as our Heavenly Father who, who disciplines and, and cares for those whom He loves. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.